The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Having problems accessing physical fitness equipment? You're not alone. Find out more in ACB Reports for February 2009. But first, Lynn Cooper of the Mirrors Project brings us the answer to a listener's question about hosiery. Mary from Ohio says, I recently learned that many women no longer wear hose in winter, even with dress shoes and skirts. Mary is a mature woman and said would not feel quite dressed without some kind of hose and feels icky in shoes without some kind of socks. What is acceptable for legs and feet for adults? It is never a good idea to go without hose or at the very least socks inside of one's boots. Not only is it not hygienic, but you're going to sweat excessively. If there is a shearling, which is that fur, you are going to not only flatten that, it will become odorous, shall we say, and it's really not a good idea for your shoes because when you sweat extensively like that, it actually does impact the shoes. And most of us only have a couple pairs of shoes or a couple pairs of boots and tend to wear them a lot. If we are going to go barefoot because of the sweating, we need to air them out usually more than we are able to do. So it's always a good idea hygienically. It's a good idea for your feet. It's a good idea for the shoe. But most importantly, Mike, we really want to pay attention to what is appropriate. If you are in a situation where you're not going to be seen, you're not presenting yourself, you're not in any way, shape, or form going to need to present a particular image, then no problem if it's only for a few minutes. If you are wearing a skirt or shorts and you are in a more um, career or a dressy situation, never, if possible, go without hose. If you are on the beach, if you are at a baseball game, if you are in the bathtub, those are my three B rules for when one should really feel comfortable going barefoot. If you are able to, and it is not going to cause you great distress from the heat, I would suggest wearing a thin hose whenever possible, always in the workplace. A lot of this is written into a dress code, so it's a real good idea when we're looking at what's appropriate to ask our manager, to ask the human resources department, or a trusty human mirror, what's the dress code? Always err on the side of safety and err on the conservative side. I know, gals, for those of you in really warm climates, that they're warm, but there is air conditioning. And if you make sure that you wear hose without the reinforced toe, that's when it really starts to look goofy. And for Caucasian gals and, and women that are, are not of color, I would never, ever suggest wearing a suntan shade. If our African-American listeners or our listeners of color are going to be wearing hose, go for the thinnest, lightest density of the hose as possible. Go to the store, take your really well-trained human mirror with you who understands your job needs with regard to dress codes and then look for a shade that matches your skin tone. Once again, if you go to a thin hose, you don't go to a control top because that adds weight. You are always best doing that if you're wearing a skirt. And even if you are wearing pants, go to at least knee-high hose. I will wear footies inside of my flats. And if I wear pants or shorts or even a skirt and I have a flat shoe, which they call ballet flats, 
They are a very short footy, which only comes to the top of your foot, wraps around your heel, and when you put that on, it's like a hose, but then it slips into your shoe and you cannot see that. But yet it does keep your foot in better shape and it keeps your shoes in better shape. We always find it very important to discuss the issue of human mirrors. And that, of course, is the person or people that we trust and we educate with our needs as far as our appearance. They must reflect us insofar as what is age appropriate, what is uh, career appropriate, what is situationally appropriate. Now they are showing thick colored hose for winter and fall. It's a great idea. It keeps your legs nice and warm. It's definitely a fashion statement. Usually it's safe to wear black. That is also a good idea under pants. Yet we have to be careful that our human mirror is not way younger than us and more playful and not in our same place in life, they may be suggesting a bright pink or purple color that's way on the fashion end of things. We often get into a problem when we ask somebody to be our human mirror and we don't spell out our needs. As much as we'd like others to intuit this, we're training them too. For the most part, a rule of thumb is If you are going to work, you wear hose. So it is a wise idea, women. Err on the side of safety. Always wear a thin hose. If you are going out and going to work, going to a social event, now once again, if you're wearing slacks, knee highs are wonderful as long as they stay up and they are at your knees so that when you cross your legs, when you sit down, as we know, the pant leg rides up. Mike, another reason to wear hose, pantyhose in particular, is to simply look good. What I mean by that is to even out our skin tone. Many of us have marks, bruises, bumps, scrapes, scars, wrinkles, sags, tan lines, moles, whatever on our bodies. What a hose will do is even all that out so that our observers are not focusing on this funny little thing on our legs. Instead, we give a nice, clean line to our visual appearance. We spend a a lot of time putting foundation on our faces or putting makeup on or trying to put our best uh, face forward, literally and figuratively. So essentially what... um, hosiery does for our legs is very much the same thing. It just kind of evens it out. It's a good idea at all times to really think about what presentation we want to put forth. So we are really aware that people are checking us out in our entirety. They're not uh, just stopping at our knees. Let's relate it to fellas. I can't imagine many men I know going into a job, whether it be a labor occupation or whether they're sitting in an office all day, without socks inside of their shoes. Most fellas are not aware that when they sit, their pant leg rides up. What will happen is there will be that highly unattractive couple inches between the pant and the sock, and that will be showing bare leg. I notice this because, as we've mentioned to our listeners, the human eye goes to that which is amiss. We talked about looking great for an interview, looking great for a meeting, putting yourself together beautifully, appropriately, wonderfully, and then having a little schmutz on your lapel. Well, the observer's eyes are going to be right there. 
And unfortunately, in the case of people with obvious disabilities, that'll be strengthening a stereotype of inability to perform. Most socks are mid-calf. That's fine if they stay up there and we're not in a meeting or we're not presenting to a group of people. If you are going to be sitting with a group of people and you know you're not under your desk all day, then get a knee sock. Get at least a couple pairs in the basic colors. Those will be kept at your knee, which means that when your pant leg goes up, there will never be a problem. It's not the end of the world when somebody's skin shows. I mean, my goodness, but it's not appropriate. So it's one of those things that listeners can tuck into their secret weapon file, kind of small, some would say, certainly not the end of the world. But once again, this is the secret weapons we are giving our listeners. So fellas, knee socks, women, as much as you possibly can, if you're not going to an extremely casual event or you're not just running out, good idea to wear at the very least under slacks. Never wear knee socks, by the way, gals, under a skirt. If you want to risk it and you're wearing a floor-length skirt, go for it, but always a good idea to wear full hose. So that is a long response to the question from our valued listener, Mary from Ohio. And very quickly as we wrap up, you have a new website. Tell us about it. Well, thank you for allowing me to mention my website, which I'm happy to announce, is www.lincooper.us, www.lincooper.us. There's a wonderful piece on there that was done by one of the uh, Chicago area television stations. If you want to see who you hear, bring up Lynn's website and see that on the screen. The piece is hosted by a woman by the name of Karen Meyer. She's been doing this show on disability issues for quite a few years. Karen is deaf. She's profoundly deaf, and she does have some speech. But I would encourage our listeners to get the full text of the piece in the link. Right below the video piece is the full text. And you can email Lynn from the website, too. Yes, and I'd love to hear from you all. It's um, very meaningful, and I'm very, very grateful. That address, once again, is www.lyncooper.us. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. So, you've made that New Year's resolution to get into better physical condition. But once you arrived at the gym, you were greeted with more touchscreens, non-tactile buttons, etc. Just what's a body supposed to do anyway? Paul Schroeder of the American Foundation for the Blind addressed this problem during the ACB National Convention in Louisville, Kentucky last summer. How many of you here in the audience are regular exercise enthusiasts? You're up at a, at a fitness center of some sort regularly. Now, how many of you more fall into this category of when the feeling to exercise uh, comes on that you lay down until it passes? Yeah. Lots of excuses for not exercising. One of them that we do hear, not infrequently, is that it's difficult to exercise because the equipment that I need to use isn't accessible for me as a blind person. How many of you feel that that's a problem? Yeah, it is a real challenge. 
Back in November of 2007, we did an initial article on this topic. Darren Burton and Lee Huffman, who also works at AFB Tech, uh, did a lot of the work. As I said, in Access World, November 2007, it is still available on the American Foundation for the Blind website. If you go to afb.org, you can link to Access World. You can find it on the opening page. And if you go into Access World, you could do a search on fitness or exercise or something appropriate if you don't remember that it's in the November 2007 issue and pull up this article. And I'd urge you to do that because there's a lot of good resources and links you can get to right from that article. We know that people with disabilities are more likely to be sedentary, more likely to have health problems, and more likely to have barriers to participating in physical activity. It is those barriers, I think, in many ways that lead to the sedentary uh, and health-related problems that we experience. We have an, an article that suggests that just over a third of people with disabilities participate in regular physical activity compared with well over half of people without disabilities. Now that's not enough of either group, uh, but it's certainly not enough of those of us with disabilities, and certainly we need to do better. I know for me and everyone else I talk to, you know that whole euphoric runner's high thing? There is a certain amount of truth to that. There are those endorphins that get released. And I know for those of you who are the regular exercise enthusiasts, you're with me on this. You feel better when you do haul your butt out of bed and actually do get up and exercise. Isn't that true? It actually does make the rest of the day a little bit better. I got up this morning. I was up in the 18th floor. It wasn't real crowded, gang. We need to do better up there. Um, but I'm very wired. I'm ready to go this morning because I got my exercise in. I'm very excited. And I think that's a benefit that we do find along with the other health problems that we take care of in taking care of our body with better exercise. Because an access world, we review technology, we focused, of course, on exercise and fitness technology. There are plenty of good and fine exercise routines that can be done with minimal or no technology, of course, and I would urge people to explore those. We, because we're a technology publication, looked at cardio and other fitness technologies to look at those access barriers, and so that's what I'll be focusing on. For those of us who have virtually or no vision, the problems are quite clear and quite easy to state. Few, if any, tactile markings and no speech output. We have been confronted now with, and it seems like this happens in all technologies, things that start reasonably good with clear knobs and dials and buttons. Do you remember the days when there were exercise bikes that had knobs you could twist to change the resistance? Yep. And, and treadmills that we kind of powered ourselves and the Nordic track devices that uh, you had a twistable knob that you could change resistance on. Yeah, gone, of course, unless you're uh, really old school or in a gym that's got very old school equipment. Now we have these devices, of course, with the flat screens, no tactile markings, and uh, lots of programming. So not only are the screens flat and difficult to navigate by touch, but they've gotten more complex with all these buttons and doodads that do all sorts of things, give you readouts of things you never even knew you needed to read out, and uh, programming for these cardio devices like treadmills and ellipticals and bikes. So the touch and tactile interface and the output from the displays, huge and obvious problem for those of us who can't see them. <laughs> well, I gotta tell you, gang, life is not much better for those with low vision. The displays, pretty poor. Largely small fonts, low contrast, uh, difficult to see the buttons usually on these uh, flat screens, so there's not much that tells you where the buttons are and what they do significant amount of glare often from these machines, plastic coverings that reduce the contrast. 
So it's not as though life is a lot better uh, on these cardio pieces of equipment for people with low vision either. Then, of course, there's the lack of knowledge and inability or unwillingness to help on the part of the staff at many fitness centers. We're going to look at some of those challenges in just a second. Very quickly, though, for those who like using weight machines, uh, some of the uh, situation is a little bit better since the pin and plate machines are so common. Those of you who have been in uh, fitness centers or maybe even have one at home know what I'm talking about. It, Nautilus is a leading company that does these. These are stacks of weights attached to a machine that you move uh, for various exercises. You put a rod or a pin in the plate that you want that corresponds to the weight amount you want, and then you start lifting. A lot of times we can't read those plates, of course, tactily or even uh, with low vision, but you can count the plates, and if you use the machine enough, you can probably figure out what kind of uh, level you want to be lifting at for these machines. So these pin and plate machines aren't too bad, although there are also now machines that use a different kind of resistance. Kaiser is a, a leading manufacturer of these pneumatic systems, uh, and these are less obvious ways of adjusting because they don't use a pin and plate technique. Uh, again, you can work with these as you press the buttons and adjust the resistance and you get the feel for it. But even here, we have much less idea uh, being consistent with how much we're lifting and how much we're moving in these machines. A couple of quick points on overcoming barriers. If you are using a fitness center, Ask them to let you test the facility a few times. Virtually every fitness center will do that. It's hard to imagine that they wouldn't. Give you a chance to get a sense of the kind of equipment that's there. Also give you a chance to assess how helpful the staff might be to you in uh, using that facility over time. Obviously, uh, if you're using a fitness center, again, good idea to get very familiar. Have them show you how the equipment works, the right kinds of moves to make, the right positions for your body to be in. Those are all obvious for anybody. It's not just a, a vision loss issue. That's true for all of us using this uh, exercise equipment. One of the nice things about those of us uh, who are out in the world and using fitness centers it's another nice way of teaching people about the abilities of people with vision loss, people who are blind. Uh, we're in there, we're using these machines, and we're showing how adaptable we can be and some of the strategies. And that leads me to one other point on these fitness centers, especially for the cardio machines. Some of the screens, though they are difficult to use tactily, the screens will allow you to be able to put braille or other kinds of markings using braille or arrows or even uh, sometimes using the draw-on markings for symbols that will help you with finding the arrows for increasing resistance or speed, the start and stop buttons, that sort of thing. Uh, and if they're transparent, they shouldn't cause any trouble for the uh, public facility to have these kinds of markings in place so you can feel them and detect them and that others in the public who can see the buttons, they're not interfered with by these transparent markings. If you find that you are having trouble with your fitness center, don't be afraid to pull out the Americans with Disabilities Act. ADA is there for a reason, and along with employment and public accommodations and all the other good stuff it does, there's no reason why we can't be using Americans with Disabilities Act to ensure that we've got access to healthcare facilities. So let me just ask a question of folks. How many of you have had to have arguments with a fitness center about using the machines and or putting markings on the machines? And how many of you who just applauded were able to succeed and get it done anyway? Yeah, a few less, but many did, and that's great. 
I'm not suggesting that you be truculent about, well, it's my right to do this and that. I mean, oftentimes we know as advocates you get more done with a little bit of gentle persuasion. But, you know, if the need arises, you have a right to be there and you have a right to expect accommodations. And that goes for health and fitness facilities just like it does for any other public accommodation. So don't be afraid to pull that out. And if it isn't working with ADA, then we maybe need to start looking at doing some uh, complaints with the Department of Justice or maybe talking to our good friends Lainey Feingold and Linda Dardarian about some strategies around fitness and some structured negotiation work that they do oh so well and so successfully. Well, what are manufacturers doing to address this? There is a little bit of work going on. There's not nearly enough. I think that if there's good news in this fitness revolution story, uh, the good news is that America is getting older. Most of the developed world is getting older. Uh, that means most everybody is getting to be over 40, and their eyes are beginning to work a little less effectively. And look, who wants to wear glasses while you're exercising? And so there's lots of people who are having trouble with these user interfaces on the, particularly the cardio fitness equipment. It has got to be an example, probably among the worst user interfaces one could imagine for a piece of technology. You're in a setting where you're not carrying glasses or other devices because you're exercising, and so you're having difficulty seeing and reading and using these panels. I don't think we've successfully made that case yet. I'm thrilled to see that ACB has got a task force working on it. We're working on it, uh, and we want to start doing more with this issue because I do think that we potentially have a good sweet spot in convincing manufacturers that it's not just about people with vision loss. It's really about making these devices work better for everybody. Cybex, C-Y-B-E-X International, is one company that we came across that's doing some work to improve access to cardio machines. They are specifically focusing on the needs of people with physical and other disabilities. They're working creatively with color. They're using some built-in uh, textured arrows on these devices. They aren't real widely out there yet, but I think we're beginning to see more of them. And again, uh, if you go back to our November 2007 Access World article, you can find some of the links and further information. Uh, Life Fitness is also uh, in here. I was actually using, I think it was a Precore machine the other day, one of the big companies in this business, and they had a really nice square control that on the corners it would change resistance and speed. And so it was really easy to find and, and very easy to invoke without uh, much risk of detecting something else. For example, upstairs here in the facility, the treadmill, which isn't bad, it's got decently findable buttons. The problem is once you find them, you've activated them. So um, they're very sensitive, and you've got to be very careful to not hit that stop button accidentally. That's the most sensitive of all of them. But you can work your way around it, and if you stay a little bit clear of it, and actually that's a pretty decent interface, and it would have been a fine interface if they just put tactile markings above these buttons. Concept 2 rowing is another one that I think some of you might have heard of. They're doing some interesting things, allowing you to hook PCs up. And uh, we've heard possible ability to hook Braille notes and Braille lights and things of that sort possibly uh, into these devices so you can begin to get information and change the uh, work of your rowing machine. So again, Concept 2 is one that you might want to check out on, on what they're doing. A quick resource to look at, the National Center on Physical Activity and Disability, NCPAD, and that's of course ncpad.org, uh, is a federally funded resource looking at these issues for access for people with disabilities, and there's lots of information on that site, not specifically about vision loss necessarily, but certainly some information that you might find useful. 
I want to thank Darren for the work that he's done on this issue, and I know that we're going to be doing more with it. Before I leave the fitness topic entirely, I want to weave in a couple other things because I really see these as closely related. Many of you know AFB offers an employment-related website called Career Connect. On the Career Connect, there is a guy who's a bodybuilder who's blind. He is also a personal fitness trainer. And I would say uh, that it makes for a very interesting part of Career Connect because he talks a little bit about, as we are having mentors do now, of what makes life fun and enjoyable for those of us with vision loss. We are very interested in overall health promotion. And so also check out a RX label enable strategy that we're putting in place at AFB uh, to try to improve access to prescription labeling, drug labeling. This is a huge problem, obviously, for all of us. Yes, many people have worked out great labeling strategies, uh, but sometimes those go awry, and sometimes you still require assistance when, in fact, we ought to have a system where labels and the insert information in prescription and other drugs are accessible to those of us with vision loss. There's really no reason why we can't solve that. Clearly, we know the technology exists. Now we simply need to get it in place. Check out RX Label Enable, particularly if you have had some difficulties that have occurred because of the inability to access the label or insert information. We're collecting stories so we can prove that this is a true challenge for those of us with vision loss. Last point on the topic, we wouldn't be able to pursue fitness if we weren't, I think, able to listen to some audio, get our heart rate pumping up with some good music. Uh, those of you who were in the session on Saturday, heard Darren talk about his work in digital audio players. In the July issue of Access World, he will have an article, second in a series, on digital audio players, MP3 players, the iPods, etc. Some of you may have read his May sort of intro to the topic. And so now he's looking specifically at some of the mainstream players. I urge you to take a look at that in the July issue of Access World when it gets up on the website, afb.org. Search over to Access World and do the link. Uh, while you're there, don't forget to check out the fitness uh, resources that you can have a look at what we're doing. There are a couple of nice letters, by the way, uh, for people who have uh, commented about the article that we did in November and have suggested some strategies. And certainly, uh, among other things, it would be great to see our field start to pick up on making fitness more accessible, not only making the machines and the technology more accessible, but also providing some really good guide materials on how to do various exercise procedures written for people with vision loss so that we can, in fact, follow those. Last and certainly not least, it wouldn't be my opportunity to grab this podium if I didn't say at least one thing about cell phones, and that is keep complaining and keep pushing. Industry hasn't done near enough on this issue, and I think we all know that. I was here a year ago talking about it. We filed a bunch of complaints with a lot of cooperation from consumers here at ACB, and not surprisingly, industry hasn't moved very far forward. AFB.org, if you go AFB.org slash cell phones, Everything that we have on cell phones is there. There are also some other good sites starting to pop up with information about cell phones. I do hope that people will continue to push industry to do more. I always say this, and I always find it frustrating when I hear people tell me, well, it's good enough that my phone allows me to make and receive calls. That's really all I need to do. I understand that we've all gotten to that place where if we can just successfully get a call place, we're feeling pretty good. 
Uh, but clearly we should and have to expect more from our cell phones, and we're going to need to expect more. At the very least, we're going to need to start doing things like text messaging more frequently, not just because our teenagers are doing it, but because our employers are doing it too. And so we need to have access to that. Industry, by the way, thinks text messaging is not part of the requirements for accessibility. I think we ought to probably set them straight on that uh, and make it clear that, in fact, we do expect text messaging to be covered. I want to thank the Tubert Foundation and Huntington for all of its support and making it possible for us to do reviews of the fitness products. And I want to thank Reader's Digest Foundation and Partners for Sight Foundation and the Huntington Foundation for making it possible for us to look at the digital audio players. Thank you very much this morning. It was great to be with you. That was Paul Schroeder of the American Foundation for the Blind, recorded at the 47th Annual Convention of the American Council of the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky in July of 2008. You can read the Access World newsletter online at www.afb.net. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.